Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So I know a few people who recently have written and published books. And what I've learned from seeing them go through this process is that in some ways, once you've actually written the book itself, the work is only just beginning. Even once you find a publisher, these days as an author, unless you're somebody super, super famous, as the author, you have to do a lot of work to get the word out about your book. You have to spread the message. So you have to find somebody who is influential in the area that you're writing about and get them to hopefully give you a quote, a blurb that you can put on the back of your book. You have to send advanced copies of the book to friends and people who promise that if they read it, they will review it on Amazon so you can come out on your first day with good rankings on Amazon. You have to ask them to talk about it on social media. You have to build your own platform through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You have to give talks and be on podcasts and give interviews. In order to get out the message of your book, you have to draw as much attention as you can. You have to create as high of a profile of yourself as you possibly can. In a way, the more important you make yourself seem, the more important your message will be perceived to be. God does not work that way. When God has a message that he wants to get out, what we see in our reading from Luke this morning is that when God has a message he wants to get out, he sends it to some weird guy out in the wilderness. (laughs) We have John the Baptist who has been in the wilderness since he was a boy. Elsewhere he's described he wears Uh, camel's skin, he eats honey and bugs, he's a bit of a weirdo. And that is who God sends his message to. And the fact that God does send his message in this weird way is heightened by the way that Luke describes it, by the setting that he gives us in these first verses of chapter 3. Luke is very clear, he's a good historian, and so he's giving us the names of all of the people who were in positions of importance and power at the time. So he names off seven of them, from the emperor all the way down to the local high priests. Seven names, these are the people who were important. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysania, Annas, Caiaphas, And when all of these people were in their important places, doing their important things, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The contrast between these two realms of power and importance could not be greater. If you want to get your message out, John is a strange person to pick. So maybe it helps us to imagine if Luke were writing this today. In the second year of the presidency of Donald Trump, when Ralph Northam was governor of Virginia, when Foley Beach was Archbishop of the ACNA and John Guernsey the Bishop of the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic, The word of the Lord came to 
Jose, the day laborer who waits in a parking lot each morning looking for work. God has a strange way of getting his message out. God has a strange way of getting his message out. But the way he gets his message out starts to make sense when we think about what the message is. And what is the message? What is the message that John, God's messenger, is proclaiming today? It's preparation. Get ready, he says, because God is coming. Get ready because God is coming. And so what is it that we get ready for when God is coming? We see it in our Luke passage and we see it in our passage from Malachi as well. We are getting ready for judgment. That's what these prophets proclaim. We're getting ready for God to come and to judge, for the, everything to be revealed. That which has been in darkness and in secret will be brought to light. God is coming. We are to get ready for judgment. And God is actually willing to get us ready for it himself. That's what Malachi is talking about in the passage that we see in chapter 3. He says, who can endure the day of God's coming? Who can stand when the judge of the universe is coming? But he says, he's like a refiner. He's like soap that cleanses. What he's saying is he is going to get ready a people who are worthy to stand and praise him. He doesn't call on them to get themselves ready. He says, I will come. I will come with a refiner's fire and with fuller's soap so that you are able to offer pleasing and holy acts of worship. So God prepares us. He refines us before he comes in judgment. And then he does come in judgment. As Malachi says in verses five, in verse five, he, he, in the voice of the Lord, says, I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, who oppress the widow, the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. This is the judgment that God brings. So when we are called by the prophets, by Malachi and John and many others, to prepare, to get ready, when the message of God comes, we are getting ready for God's refinement and his judgment. And as Luke tells us, we are getting ready for salvation. Luke quotes, or John in Luke here, quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He talks, this is a passage where Isaiah is describing the return of the Israelites from exile. And that he's saying, prepare the way for the Lord to bring the exiles home. They are finally coming home to Jerusalem, to Israel. And what the prophet is declaring here is that what is going to happen is that God is going to bring down the mountains and raise up the valleys so that they have a smooth, flat road to walk on. 
God's desire is to bring God's people home. God's desire is to make their way smooth and easy to come to him. The call that John makes, the call that he quotes Isaiah in making, is a call to repentance to receive salvation. That is how we receive salvation, is in repentance. So John comes around to all the region in the Jordan. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So how do we receive salvation? We don't receive salvation by earning it. We don't receive salvation by being good enough to deserve it. We receive salvation by simply coming home to God, by acknowledging our sin and our brokenness, and by relying on God's mercy. All flesh shall see the salvation of God, Isaiah promises us, and Luke repeats the promise. The salvation of God is coming. That is the message that John proclaims because God wants to draw God's people home to him. That the salvation comes through grace, through acceptance of forgiveness, through our repentance and turning and depending on God is at the heart of what salvation is all about. I'm reminded of those bumper stickers that used to, you used to see on cars years ago that would say, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> that is not the salvation of the gospel. Jesus is coming, be repentant is a little bit closer. But Jesus is coming and salvation is here. So this is the message that John that Isaiah, that Malachi, that the prophets throughout the ages have proclaimed a message of preparation for judgment and for salvation. And what's amazing is that in both of those messages, both the message of judgment and the message of salvation, it's not the powerful, the successful, the important people who come out on top. In God's world, in both his judgment and in his salvation, as if you could really separate those two things. But in both, it is the lowly and the oppressed. It's those who are willing to acknowledge their brokenness, their sin, their need. Those are the ones who are saved. So if that's the message... If the message is that not that if you're big and important, if you rule over an empire or a kingdom or a temple, then you're going to be saved. No, if you are broken and contrite, if you repent and turn to God, you will be saved. If that's the message, then it couldn't come from anybody other than John, right? It couldn't come from an important or influential or successful person. It just wouldn't sound right. It wouldn't be consistent. This message from God has to come from a nobody. 
It has to come from someone who is outside the norms of polite society. It has to come from someone who speaks from the margins. So that is who God's message comes from, why it comes from someone like John. And then we attend to where the message comes from, the wilderness. John cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The wilderness, of course, throughout scripture is a place of vulnerability and need. So you think about the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness before they enter the promised land. You think about David spending time in the wilderness when he is being hunted by Saul. You think of the wilderness through which the Israelites returned from their exile. And of course, just ahead in Jesus' ministry, there's the 40 days he will, be, he will spend in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. The wilderness is always a place of vulnerability and need and a place where we have to learn to depend on the provision and the protection of God. So where better for God's message to come from than from the wilderness? This message that says, I will bring judgment to lift up the oppressed and to bring down the mighty. And this message that says, I will bring salvation to all those who repent and turn to me. We have a message, and we have the place that the message comes from. And so we think for ourselves this Advent, for us here at St. Michael's in December of 2018, what does this look like for us? What's the message that God has for us? And where do we hear it coming from? So the message for us is the same as it was for those who heard John. It's to prepare because God is coming. To prepare by being willing to be refined and cleansed by God so that we are ready for his judgment. Which maybe sounds nice, but it's not necessarily particularly easy or pleasant, this whole refining and cleansing thing. You think about gold being refined. Gold has all these impurities in it, and the only way to get rid of them is to heat it up hot enough that those impurities burn away. Or you think about clothes that need to be scrubbed clean with soap. You think about what a, a piece of clothing would feel like if it could feel as it were rubbed up and down the washboard getting clean. I was at the funeral of a friend of mine's grandmother yesterday, and my friend was sharing some stories about her grandmother. And she said one of the things that her grandmother taught all of her grandchildren was the way to get the whitest whites in your laundry. She said it involved about six different buckets, tons of bleach, and three days. But at the end of it, you would have white laundry. It is not easy to be cleansed. It's not easy to be refined with God's refining fire. That purification that God wants to do in us, it's hard because it consists of our letting parts of ourselves die. Parts of ourselves that 
are determined to, to do it on our own, whatever the it is. The parts of ourselves that rebel over and over against God's reign in our lives. To be purified by God, those things have to die so that something else can live. Purification is not easy, but the results are beautiful. The pureness of shining gold, the glowing whiteness of clean linens, the heart that is submitted to God and open to be used by him to pour his love out to the world. Purification isn't easy, but the result is beautiful. And so for us, as we offer ourselves to God in this Advent, part of our prayer can be, God, would you come and refine me? Would you show me those things that are making the gold impure, that are making the linens dirty? Would you get rid of it? We can't get rid of it ourselves, but we can allow God by his spirit to free us from those chains, to free us from that sin, that rebellion, that brokenness. He will refine us. So the message for us today is a message of being willing to be refined, and it is the message that salvation has come. The message that God has come for us, that's what we celebrate at Christmas The message that God is continuing to draw us to him. That he is always leading us away from our exile and back home to him. And so maybe part of our prayer this Advent can be, God, would you show me the ways that I still tend to get confused? To get fooled by the messages that the world sends about what will save me? about what it means to be important or powerful or successful, about what the things are that I am looking to to find my dignity, my meaning, my worth in anything that is not God. God alone is the one who can save us, and he will call us. He will flatten those mountains and raise up those valleys and lead us home to him. May we invite him to do that more and more this Advent. So the message that we hear is the message of preparation, of refining, and the message of salvation. But where does the message come from for us today? Where's the wilderness where we should be looking for the messengers of God? In some ways, I think that many of you are, in a way, the ones in the wilderness. Not in the sense that you are lost and roaming around, but that you are in your older years of life. And you know a lot better than I do that our culture is one that does not value age. We tend to push older folks to the edges, treat them as sort of quaint relics, rather than valuing the wisdom the experience, and the perspective that you've gained. So for you, I think part of the message of this text today is that God speaks through you. 
God has sent his word to you, and you have a message to share. Your faith has been refined by the fire of years and life experience. Your faith has been refined by the pain and the suffering as well as the joy and the delight that life brings. And you know probably more than many how futile it is to try to create our own salvation. You know better than many how ultimately fleeting are the world's definitions of success and importance. You have a message to proclaim. And so perhaps this Advent, God's invitation to you is to proclaim it. To find someone, a younger person in your life, who you can share God's salvation stories with. Perhaps the invitation is for you to think of a younger person who you might be able to disciple, to mentor. I will tell you, people are hungry for it. Maybe God's invitation to you is to proclaim your message to your friends and neighbors, those who are also in their later years, but who need this message of salvation every bit as much as anyone else. In some ways, you are ones who are in the wilderness, and God has given you a message to proclaim. In other ways, though, we're not the ones in the wilderness. For lots of reasons, we are people who enjoy positions of privilege in our culture. And so I think this Advent, it would also serve us well to look to the people who don't enjoy those same privileges. To look to the people who are pushed to the edges, to the margins, because they also are in the wilderness And it is to them that the word of the Lord may come and from whom we may need to hear it. So are we listening to their voices? Are we listening to the voices of those who are on the margins? In our culture today, that is often the poor, people of color, women, immigrants, refugees, people who struggle with addiction or mental illness, any of the things that there are that can put people on the outs in our culture. Are we looking there? Are we listening to them for the word of God to come from the wilderness? So we can think about who are the people who we read Who are the people who we listen to, whether it's news or radio or podcasts? Who are we Whose voices are we hearing? And can we be intentional about trying to broaden that base of voices that we hear? And then I think there's a question of who literally are we listening to in the people around us? Are we taking time to, to get to know people, to hear their stories? Are we taking the time to hear where and how God is working salvation in the lives of people in the wilderness? Again, at this friend's funeral yesterday, 
uh, her, my friend's brother was sharing about how as much as their grandmother loved to talk, and evidently she did quite a lot, she also loved to listen. That she would fly to visit them from Nebraska, and by the time she landed, she had made a brand new friend that she knew everything about because she had listened well. Do we take the time to listen to those who are around us, especially the ones whose voices are often not amplified? I acknowledge that this is a challenge for me as well. When I look at what is it that I read, who are the podcasts that I listen to, what are the, who are the biblical scholars that I'm reading, it's really easy to keep reading and listening to people who look and think like me. And it takes work to seek out those other voices. It's something that I am trying to do. And I think it is part of God's Advent invitation to us as we listen for the word of the Lord that comes from the wilderness. The good news of Advent is that the message does come. The message of God's refining, the message of God's salvation. The message came from the prophets of old, like Malachi. The message came through John the Baptist calling out in the wilderness. Above all, the message came in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the message continues to come to us and through us. May we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. Amen.